also acknowledge, Father, the pain and suffering in our world uh, that touches many of our lives. And so, Jesus, we pray. Uh, We pray for our world. We pray for peace in those places that we see on the news day by day. We pray for peace in our own lives and circumstances and situations that feel chaotic and out of control. And Father, we pray that in this place today, you would speak to us by your word, by your spirit, which is truth, who will lead us and guide us into all truth. And so, Father, we submit ourselves as your children with open hearts and open hands and open ears to the things that you have for us this morning. In the name of Jesus, your son, who made it all possible, we pray and say, amen, amen. Well, my name's Brad. I'm part of the uh, teaching and leadership team here at uh, Jericho Ridge. And it's our privilege to have you with us, especially if you're new or visiting. Uh, In the summers, we do a more family-inclusive format, and so there's some interactive pieces this morning that I'll be uh, asking from you. And the first one is a little bit of a guessing game. And so you're going to have to put your thinking caps on. I'm going to kind of reveal a few clues and then you're going to try and uh, guess the answer to this. It's a, it's a movie, all right? So it was released uh, on August 25th, 1939. So you're going to have to really stretch far back in your memories to think there. Okay, you got that kind of period in your mind. It was released by Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. And it was a movie that would go on to become the most watched film in history. The film cost what at that time was an astronomical sum of money. It cost $2.7 million to make. And the studio was afraid that they were going to go bankrupt on it uh, because they had to pay the dog on the set $125 per week. (laughs) On the opening weekend, though, the film made $5.4 million in 1939. So, I mean, it just shattered box office records. And it's gone on to gross millions and millions and millions of dollars all around the globe. It's been translated into multiple languages, released, and then re-released. It touched off the career of a young actress who would go on to become a household name. And its title song, this will give it away, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, was ranked number one by the uh, American Film Institute on this list of 100 greatest songs of all time. Okay, Logan, what guesses? Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz, that is correct. You are correct. Now, The Wizard of Oz, great film, right? My personal favorite sequence in The Wizard of Oz is the time when they return to the Emerald City for a second visit with the wizard. Do you remember this? Those of you, how many of you have seen this movie? Okay, some of the rest of you need to catch up on your film history. This is like an iconic film, all right? So the Wizard of Oz, they go back to visit the wizard, right? And there's lots of smoke and booming voices and all of this, but what does Toto do? Toto goes around behind the curtain to try and figure out where all of this smoke and mirrors is coming from. And when Toto pulls aside the curtain, it reveals nothing more than an old man 
pulling levers and speaking into a microphone, the so-called Wizard of Oz. And instead of being a great and powerful wizard, it turns out to be just an illusion, a fake. There's nothing supernatural about him at all. He does parlor tricks. He's just a sorry and sad old man. And do you remember his name? It's not actually mentioned in, in the movie. It was in the original uh, book. His name where he got Oz from, in this illustration from 1900, his name is actually Oscar Zoroaster Fadrig Isaac Norman Henkel Emmanuel Ambrosi Diggs. Yeah, perhaps this is where we get the iconic phrase in our culture, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, because you'll never remember his name. Oscar Zoroaster, the Wizard of Oz. He's just an illusion. And maybe without realizing that, for a lot of people in our culture, that image of Oscar, the Wizard of Oz, has become their mental picture when they think about the supernatural. For some people, the explanation of anything supernatural is just a man behind a curtain pulling levers and convincing us that something is true when really it's just an illusion. I was watching uh, the TV series, the re-release of the TV series Cosmos this past spring. And in it, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the host, suggests that anything that we can't explain by science is just superstitious religious people trying to maintain power and control in our world. And that no matter what it is, as science continues to develop and we gain new understandings, everything from miracles to angelic beings will have a fully naturalistic and scientific explanation. Some people believe that and suggest that what we experience as the supernatural will someday turn out to be nothing more than just a man behind the curtain pulling levers and speaking into a microphone, and that we'll one day figure that out. But the challenge is that no matter how hard people try to advocate that perspective, and I'm not advocating, don't hear what I'm not saying, I'm not advocating anti-scientific thinking in any way, shape, or form. But no matter how hard people try and advocate that naturalistic worldview, a belief in something that we cannot see with our eyes or touch with our hands or measure with the scientific method can't be eradicated no matter how hard we try. Whatever your belief structures, whatever your, your present uh, reflection on your spiritual journey to this point in your life. People that you've met or talked to, may have, you may have brushed up against the supernatural or a feeling of the supernatural in some way or in some form. Some people talk about it at the birth of their first child. Some people talk about it in an intense condition like the death of a loved one. Asking questions like, is this life all there is? Is there life after death. Some people have miraculous experiences. You know, uh, people have shared here before in this place about praying for God's protection in some way and then God really intervening in their world and in their life in some significant way, either for healing or protection or answering prayer in some very specific way that they can't explain in any other way. 
And so they say, well, that's God been working to them. You'll hear oftentimes here at Jericho Ridge, people talk about you know, God speaking to them through the Bible or in prayer. And these are places and times where that veil between the natural world and the supernatural world becomes thin and it is as if earth is touching heaven or that there's interaction between the natural and the supernatural realm. Maybe you've had some of those experiences yourself. The famous uh, military general, Napoleon Bonaparte, once said, we are born, we live, and we die amongst the supernatural. And perhaps uh, more appropriately for this time of year, especially here around our part of the woods, poet and author Elizabeth Barrett Browning famously once said, earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush is a fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit around it and pluck blackberries. Earth is crammed with heaven, but only those who see and who appreciate and take time to notice it actually engage in that reality. And this morning, we're gonna see a powerful example of this reality of the supernatural in the book of 1 Samuel. This is where we've been exploring through the course of our summer teaching series here at Jericho Ridge. Uh, it's been called Games and Thrones, not to be confused with the exhibit at the PNE. But uh, we've been going through the Old Testament books in the summer months, and now we're in 1 Samuel, and that's in uh, the Old Testament. If you uh, would like to find it in your Bibles, we've got brown Bibles available just at the back. You're welcome uh, to go at any point and grab one of those. And we're going to be in 1 Samuel on page 289 in that this morning. And we have been tracing through the stories in 1 Samuel the experiences of two Kings. Well, actually, the king, the current king, and the would-be king. The first king, Saul, and the not-yet-king, David. And today, the natural fades into the background. The supernatural comes to the forefront in one of the last stories of Saul's life. And in the study so far, we've seen in 1 Samuel, Saul has become king of Israel. He's been anointed by the prophet Samuel but he has chosen a pathway of disobedience to God. And to the point that though he is king, Samuel the prophet has declared in chapter 15 that God has left Saul and has departed from him and God is in the process of tearing away Saul's kingdom from him to give it to another person. And that person is David. And throughout the book of 1 Samuel, we see young David plucked from obscurity, herding sheep in the back country. The first real encounter that we have with him is the slaying of the giant Philistine Goliath. And as a result of that act of bravery and courage, he rises to prominence in Saul's army. He becomes the number one general, and they write a song about him. David, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. And this song begins to get inside Saul's head and drive him crazy. And as a result of his jealousy, David is driven out and hunted down. He's forced to live in the caves in the desert. We talked about that two weeks ago. But here in 1 Samuel chapter 28, things are shifting. And the story is about Saul 
And let's pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse three. And some of the verses are gonna come up on the side screens, but you'll wanna make sure uh, you open your Bible and follow along with me, or follow along on your YouVersion app on your smartphone. And if you have a brown Bible, uh, then those are available. Miriam got some at the back, and we'll be reading from uh, page 289. So 1 Samuel chapter 28, verse three says, now Samuel was dead, and all of Israel mourned for him, buried him in his own town of Ramah. And Saul had expelled the mediums, the spiritists, from the land. So here, I mean, this is an example of something good that Saul did. We tend to be pretty down on Saul, but props to him, he's actually done something that God instructed clearly to be done in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and Leviticus chapter 20. God strictly prohibited people to consult with mediums or spiritists. And these are people that communicate with the spiritual realm, but not using God's power. They are doing an end run on that, and the reason is God wants his people in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, he says, I want you to communicate with me. I don't want you to communicate with mediums and spiritists. They're trying to access the spiritual realm and consort with evil spirits. Don't do that. That's not gonna turn out well for you. So Saul has made a law and expelled all of the mediums and spiritists from the land. We're gonna see that that's not actually necessarily what happened. So keep reading with me. The Philistines assembled, they came, they set up their army, their camp at Shunem. And Saul gathered with all of Israel and set up his camp at Gilboa, but he was still vastly outnumbered. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. And he inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not or would not answer him. Not by dreams, not by Urim. This is through the priests. The priests actually had a way, they had a special uh, ephod that had been constructed in the time of Moses, and they used it to pray and ask God for direction in given situations. But you remember, Saul actually in chapter 22, he had killed a whole bunch of the priests. So I'm not sure that any remaining priests were really willing to help him to consult the Lord on this one on this situation, so he couldn't do it through dreams, couldn't do it through priests, couldn't do it through prophets. The prophet Gad had actually gone to work for David now, didn't wanna hang around with Saul anymore, and so Saul could not get an answer to his question of what to do. He was filled with terror, and in the previous situations, you know, when David encounters the Philistine army, we're gonna see he continuously seeks God's advice, what should I do? Saul's trying to do the same, but nothing gets Nothing. We see this portrait of just desperation that emerges in Saul's life. Saul's inquiry is not prompted by his piety or how much he loves Jesus. It's prompted by panic. He is frantic with fear and he cannot get an answer as to what to do from God. So he's gonna take drastic measures. He's gonna take measures into his own hands to find out about the future. So let's see where he turns for help and advice. So Saul says to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium so I can go and inquire of her. There's one in Endor, they said. So let's pause for a minute and just think about this. 
the irony of this. We have a king who is asking for something illegal that he himself has made a law that it is punishable by death to consult with a medium or a spiritist. So he himself, it says in the text, he's gotten rid of all of the spiritists in the land. Well, clearly he didn't do a very good job of that. And so he says to his men, hey, find me a lady who can speak with spirits. And they say without any hesitation, no problem, boss, there's one 17 miles from here. How did they know that? Clearly Saul was not as effective of getting rid of these individuals as God had instructed him to be. And so Saul the lawmaker is about to become Saul the lawbreaker. And so he disguised himself, the text says, putting on outer clothes. And at night, he and two men went to see the woman. Now, this is an indication for us as to how desperate this guy is to get information about the future and for spiritual input on his life. Because in order for him to reach Endor from his current position, he actually has to sneak behind enemy lines. He has to go behind the entire Philistine army that lies between him and his intended destination. But he is so desperate that no risk is too great for Saul to take. So he disguises himself so that they won't know that it's him. And he travels with only two companions to try and avoid detection. And he sets out to have this spiritual encounter. And the risk is incredible for Saul, which means the desperation must be high. See, when, our, when we're desperate for something, we're often willing to do things that are incredibly risky and foolish when we think that our options are limited. So let's keep tracking with the story as you read in 1 Samuel 28, verses 9 to 14. So in verse 9, the woman says to Saul when he comes, Surely you know what Saul has done. He's cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for me and for my life to bring about my death? Now this woman, clearly she's a smart businesswoman. She needs to assess her risk of this client. She needs to make sure that she's not a victim of some undercover government sting operation. So she asks a good question. And Saul swears to her. He says, I swear to you by the Lord. So again, the irony here, Saul, who's been forsaken by God, making an oath in the name of a God whom he's no longer seeking, to a woman who's working for the other team, says, I swear to you, by the name of the Lord, I will not do that. Saul swore an oath, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. And then the woman asks him, whom shall I bring up for you? Who do you want to communicate with? in the spirit realm. See, there's a prevailing belief then, as now in some places, that after a person dies, that their spirit is still kind of, in, in Old Testament language, they were in the underworld, and that you could communicate with them in some way. And so these mediums and spiritists were very, very popular, and it was a very lucrative business for her. So she just asked what she would ask every client, who should I bring up for you? And Saul says, bring up Samuel, he said. Verse 12, the woman saw Samuel. She cried out at the top of her voice and she said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. 
So she screams. She's putting two and two together here. She's figured out that her natural visitor in the natural realm is King Saul, but more surprisingly to her, her visitor in the supernatural realm is none other than Samuel. And I think there's a lot of discussion and debate about this, but I think the tone of the text and the surprise of the medium should give us a clue that this is not just merely some apparition, that this is outside of her usual experience in the spiritual and magic arts. I think that we would be wise to think this of not her conjuring Samuel up per se, but in this situation, God is allowing Samuel to visit and appear to Saul to send him a message. And so in verse 13, the king says to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? And she says, I see a spirit. I see a ghostly figure coming up from the earth. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. And then Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he prostrated himself. He threw himself down with his face to the ground. Then Samuel responds and said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I'm in great distress, Saul says. The Philistines are fighting against me. God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I've called you to tell me what to do. He's almost comical in the interactions that they have together. And Samuel's response is almost comical. It's as if Samuel says, can't you let a guy rest in peace, Saul? Why are you bugging me with your stupid questions? You see, death hasn't mellowed Samuel. Samuel's still cantankerous. He's still prophetic and curt. And so Saul's about to get the information about his future that he's desperately longing for, but it's not necessarily the information that he wants. Look with me in 1 Samuel 28 verses 16. Samuel says, why do you consult me? Now that the Lord has departed from you, has become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and has given it to one of your neighbors, to David, because you did not obey the Lord. You did not carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites. The Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both you and Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. By which Samuel means you and your sons will join me in death. And the Lord will bring down the entire army of Israel in defeat. And if you flip over the page to the story of the battle the next day in 1 Samuel chapter 31, we see that Samuel's prophetic word comes true, comes to full fruition. Saul's three sons are killed. Saul is mortally wounded. He tries to disguise himself yet again and it does not work. He's wounded by an archer and then he takes his own life by falling on his sword. But when Samuel speaks this word out, Saul, who has already overcome by fear, is now completely paralyzed with fright. 
he cannot move and respond. And you get this sense from yet another one of the classical artists who depicted this scene. This painting is by Rosa, and it's hanging in the Louvre in Paris, France. And Saul is completely paralyzed. In verse 20, it says, immediately he fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he'd eaten nothing all that day and night. And when the woman came to Saul and saw he was greatly shaken, she said, look, your maidservant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands, and I did what you told me to do. Now please listen to your servant, and let me at least give you some food so that you may eat and have the strength to go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. But his men joined the woman in urging him, and so he listened to them, and he got up from the ground, and he sat on the couch. The woman had a fatted calf at the house, which she had butchered at once. She took some flour, kneaded it into bread, and baked it without yeast, and then she set it before Saul and his men, and they ate, and that same night they got up, and they left. It's a completely ironic ending to the story of Saul's life. At the end of the day, the king who refuses to listen to the voice of God listens to the voice of a woman he's never met and two servants who've accompanied him on a fool's errand, but he still refuses to heed the voice of God. And so the woman kills this fatted calf, sets out a feast for a king, And it's the exact same feast that actually Samuel set out for Saul on the day that he found him searching for his donkeys and told him, Saul, you're going to be the king of Israel. And so Saul eats this feast fit for a king, but he's going to his death, and it may very well be the last meal that he ate in his natural life. See, the ironic thing is that Saul already knew in many ways what the future held for him before he went on this fool's errand and sought out his nightly visitor. In chapter 15, Samuel had already told him what was going to happen to him, that the kingdom was going to be taken away from him, that he was going to die, but Saul refused to listen. And it's sad and it's a frightening story in some ways. And in many ways, that's the point. Because the writer is inviting us to, and the text invites us to sort through What are we to make of all of this? What are we supposed to do with this supernatural encounter? Well, the first thing that I think that we can say about this is that there's possible for us to interact with the supernatural. As people of faith who would hold to a worldview that comes from the scriptures, we would believe that. We can interact with, we can influence the supernatural but we dare not believe that we can control and manipulate it to our own ends and devices. Though we can interact with and influence the supernatural, we dare not believe that we can control and manipulate it. You see, just like Saul, people in our day and time want access to information about things. Maybe it's about the past. Maybe it's about the future. Maybe it's about their life. They're seeking knowledge. And they want to get access to what's behind the curtain. And so there's a few different ways that people can go about this. 
And so I think it's important to kind of define our terms a little bit here and understand that there's a few things that the scriptures would use to talk about this. One is divination. Divination is seeking knowledge using supernatural means. There's all kinds of ways and examples of this in the Old Testament, both negative and also positive. People inquiring of the Lord, saying, God, what should we do about this situation? But then there's magic. And by magic in the Old Testament, what the Bible means by that is attempting to produce an effect by using supernatural means. So this would be something like sorcery or voodoo or trying to place a curse on someone using the supernatural. And then in this instance, what we're dealing with is necromancy which is a fancy word for a consultation with the dead to try and get information about something. And the real danger in these categories is that we're dabbling in something of in the supernatural realm that we cannot and do not control. In terms of interacting with God, God is not a puppet that we can control or manipulate with our prayers. Oh, if I just say the right little incantation, then Jesus will do what I want. That's why we sang earlier those songs about God's majesty, his glory, his power, his authority over all things, his love and his wonder. God is the creator of the entire universe and we dare not think that with some kind of magic spell, we can make him do what we want him to do. The same is true for those who seek knowledge or attempt to produce an effect by means of of evil spirits. We dare not believe for one minute that we can control and manipulate the spiritual realm to our own ends. Uh, Peter Ash and I, Peter stole his story here a number of times, uh, works with and uh, leads an organization called Under the Same Sun. Uh, in East Africa, working with people with albinism, and even over the course of these last number of weeks, there have been three attacks on people with albinism as a result of the belief in the supernatural that possessing someone's body parts would give you magical abilities in some way. And so we encountered this when we were there three years ago in Tanzania. They're so much more deeply aware of the spiritual and the supernatural than we are here in North America. And I can remember one day, I said, well, what are we gonna do today? And they said, we're gonna drive out right into the heart of where the highest concentration of witch doctors and spiritists live in Tanzania, right on Lake Victoria, and we are going to show a movie, we're gonna show a documentary that unmasks the power of witchcraft in this area and talk about how this is inappropriate, the film White and Black, which some of you have seen. And so uh, we thought, all right, this will be interesting. We're going right into the heart of darkness with a message of truth. And in Africa and in the global south, all of these things, divination, mac, you know, these are very, very real realities. And so the, we drove out into the middle of this area and it was getting more and more and more remote. And as we talked to our team, uh, they said, yeah, we've had, we've had word from the village that where we're going that uh, the, the witch doctors have been praying for rain so that we will not be able to show the film. 
And so they believe and they've been doing all of these magic and incantations so that it will rain. And then if that happens, what will happen is the people will believe that their magic is stronger. And so they will believe and continue to believe that. And as we drove closer and closer, we began to see storm clouds gathering. And thunder and lightning began to emerge on the horizon. I have never felt so aware in my life of the spiritual reality of the conflict that we were driving into. And as we drove right towards that storm, I began to text people here in North America and say, you gotta pray for us. You gotta pray that it will not rain. You know, I need you to to, uh, begin to intercede on behalf of these people that need to hear truth and against the lie that the evil one wants to continue to sow into this place. And so as we drove right out into the heart of it, we could see, and as we got closer and closer, the clouds began to part and people began to stream back from the village to see the film. And it was an incredible and powerful night where truth won the day and where people began to stand up and give testimony to, I didn't know this, thank you for coming and sharing this with me. And we had incredible encounters of Jesus' truth setting people free there in that place. And I think the challenge and the the takeaway that I got from that is, why was I so aware of the spiritual reality of what was happening there in that place? And back in Canada, sitting here in Langley, oftentimes I don't give it a second thought. But yet the spiritual world is equally as real there as it is here. Just the amount of attention that I pay to it is quite different in those moments. And I think the problem that we run into as people is when we believe in some way that we can control and manipulate the spiritual realities, we're fooling ourselves that we can. As a person of faith who believes in God, you need to stay far away from dabbling in those kinds of realities because they're dangerous. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 19, we have some examples of people casually pulling back the curtain. It's the story of the seven sons of Sceva. And they see that Paul is having a very successful ministry, rebuking evil spirits. And they decide, this is great stuff. Paul is doing amazing work. We should try and do that too. And so they go and they find somebody who's oppressed by an evil spirit and they say to the man, in the name of this Jesus guy, and um, who's the other guy? Yeah, Paul. We command this evil spirit to come out of this man. And the evil spirit in the man responds and says, Jesus I know, Paul I know, who the heck are you? And one guy beats up seven of them and they run out of the house naked and bloody. They thought they would just kind of casually walk into this encounter and just cast a little Jesus dust around and it would go great and it does not turn out well for them. So you don't play around or mess around or think you can control or manipulate the spiritual reality to your own ends. And the reason that this is dangerous is because of its source. So to illustrate this, we're gonna do a little segment called Ask Pastor Brad, where uh, kids in the audience are going to ask me for advice. How dangerous could it be, right? All right, so we've got our first asker who's going to ask me a question. I'm gonna just have a great answer to it. I'm very, very sure. All right, you ready? From the Nicole family. Okay, um, so 
Kate, you used to live in Kenya? Oh, okay, the best route from the airport to the coast in Kenya. Well, I have flown through Kenya. I've transited through Nairobi. I was there for, I'm gonna say, a grand total of maybe 45 minutes in my life. Um, but as I looked out my airplane window, I could just clearly see that when you get out of the airport, you need to turn right and then go right again, and then um, take A345, and that gets you towards the coast. I'm pretty sure that's the right answer. Yeah that's, uh, yeah, that's definitely the right answer. Having never been there, I say that with a good degree of confidence. You'll be able to, if you ever go to Kenya, take A335, you'll never, you won't miss it. You'll be fine, you'll be fine. I'm sure that's good. Okay, any other questions? Any other questions? Okay, yes, yeah, yes. An aortic aneurysm, great. Of course a nurse would ask me that question. Well, I think that of course, Kristen, the location of the aortic aneurysm determines its type. Uh, but um, I don't know, have you tried or thought about robotic surgery? Maybe if you come over on Tuesday, I could probably do it for you. Having never done that before, you know, I'm just, I feel quite confident that I'd be able to just look after that for you. So if you know someone that needs that type of surgery, what kind of aortic? Is that in the heart? Yes, it's in the heart, aorta. I'm thinking it's in the heart. Yeah, I'll get it. I'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. No problems. I'll look after it. Yeah, no problem. I can, I can deal with that. So, okay, any other questions for me? Ooh, that's a question I don't know the answer to. But it's a very, very good one. When are we going back to school? Well, it's a good question. Well, you know, I, I play around with that challenge and those questions to bring up a point. When you seek advice, you need to consider the source of that advice. I am not a good source of advice on how to get from the airport to the coast in Kenya. I've never driven in Kenya. I don't have a desire to drive in Kenya. It's very dangerous to drive in Kenya. If you wanted to drive from the airport to the coast, ask somebody who knows and probably someone who has their driver's license in Kenya as well. So you would need to ask, you consider the source. I could tell you something about driving in Kenya, having never done it, you should not trust me as an expert on that authority. Same thing when it comes to complex surgical procedures. Consider the source of the information. The stuff you get online is not always good medical information. Your doctor will tell you that. The first thing, where did you hear about that? Yeah, yeah, no, discard all of that. That's not good information for you. You have to consider the source. If a heart surgeon tells you that they have specific information about an aortic aneurysm, you should listen to them. If I say I can look after that for you, you should run far in the other direction. When you seek advice, you need to consider the source. And sometimes people seek out information from all of the wrong places. Saul certainly did here in his life and in his experience. Because the reality is you cannot get good advice from bad sources. You cannot get good advice from bad sources. Just like I'm a bad source of information on those topics, a medium is a bad place to find good advice. Places like mediums, tarot card readers, psychics, Ouija boards, fortune tellers, None of these are good places to get good information from because none of these places are getting their information from good 
sources. Consider, you may not have stopped to think about it before, where are these people getting their information from? Oh, sure, some of them are just playing at it, dabbling in something they don't fully understand. When I worked at a restaurant in Ontario for years, there was a psychic that the whole staff went to on occasion. And what they didn't realize is she was pumping them for information about the next person that was gonna come through the door. So they all thought she was fantastic. She was actually just a good interviewer, no spiritual authority whatsoever. So some of people are just playing. But what is the source of information that's supernatural? Some are genuinely and deeply committed to their practices. And so you need to ask the question, is this a way that God has orchestrated to communicate with people? The Bible reminds us that we have direct access to God through prayer. We don't need a medium or an intermediary. Yes, God sometimes gives people visions, dreams, prophetic words, but again, here you always consider the source. You cannot get good advice from bad sources. And so as we wrap up our discussion today, I think it's important to say a few words about these realities. You see, unlike Saul, we do not have to be and live paralyzed with fear about the supernatural. For some of us, maybe you are paralyzed by fear about your past. Maybe some of you have dabbled in some things before you came to faith in the spiritual world. And you wonder what impact that has on you in your current life. There's freedom and forgiveness, cleansing, but sometimes you need to ask God specifically to cut off the influence of specific engagements and ties that you made in your past. And for some of you, that's been a reality and you haven't given it a thought for years and years and years. But if God's bringing something to your mind, I want you to come and talk to me and I want you, or I want you to email me and make an appointment and we'll sit down and we'll talk about it together and we'll go through and pray specifically that God would release you from any residue of that in your life, in your reality. Because there's freedom from that. There's protection in the present. Freedom from your past, protection in the present. I am wonderfully grateful to the Lord that we don't have to live paralyzed in a state of fear about evil. We don't live in ignorance, evil is real. The evil one is active in our world today, but if you're a person who's given your life over to Jesus, you're under his protection and under his hand. That's why we sang those songs this morning, to remind us of the saving power and influence of the cross and what Jesus did on the cross and the power of Jesus' name. And so when you're experiencing fear and worry, call out to God and invite his protection in your life. There is freedom from your past, protection in the present. And there's hope. There's hope beyond the grave. This chapter illustrates for us 
an intriguing reality and reminds us that when we come to the end of our natural lives, this is not the end of our existence. You and I are physical beings having a spiritual existence, not physical beings having spiritual experiences. We are spiritual beings. We have a soul that God has created. And however long God gives to us on this earth, we are granted a physical and bodily existence. But beyond the grave, our soul will carry on. And so it's vitally important that we understand our hope and live in light of our hope beyond the grave and not get unnecessarily focused or sidetracked on evil. We need to live in light of our clear and eternal destiny. And for those who know and who love God, who have engaged in and received Jesus as their forgiver and their leader, there is hope beyond the grave. And today, if you're here and that's not your reality, and when you think about death, you are paralyzed by a state of fear, I want to invite you to bow your heads with me and we're going to pray together as we wrap up our time here today. So let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for the work of your son Jesus on the cross who brought us freedom and deliverance and liberty. Your word reminds us that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so God, we pray that uh, we would walk in that as we go from this place this week. We pray that we would not walk and live in a spirit of fear that is paralyzed by the evil one. We pray, Father, that you would protect and guard our hearts from seeking answers to questions in places that are not the right sources of information. We pray, God, that you would develop and cultivate in us as a community a spirit of wisdom and discernment and guidance. We pray that you would continue to pour out and speak your truth into our lives. And we pray for each person, Father, who has not submitted their life to you. We pray that in this place today, if that's your desire, you would pray something simple and say, God, I do not want to live in a spirit of fear. I want to live under your reign and authority in my life. I commit my life to you. I confess with my mouth that Jesus, you are Lord. I believe in my heart that God, you have raised Jesus from the dead, that his death, that his burial and his resurrection was sufficient to pay the price for my sins and the things that I have done wrong in my life. I commit my life to you and I trust you that you will protect and guard and defend and you will carry and keep me. And the scripture says, he who has begun a good work in you will carry it out until the day of Christ Jesus. And so we pray with faith and with confidence in the words of Romans chapter eight, nothing will separate you from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor things to past, nor things to come will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so go in God's grace and his confident peace that his protection is on your life and you can carry that and speak words of hope into the lives of others who are gripped and paralyzed by fear.
In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Go in God's grace and in his peace. If you want to hang around and talk about anything that you heard today, we'd love to do that with you. And we look forward to seeing you back uh, with us next weekend when we finish off our teaching series, uh, Games and Thrones in 1 Samuel.